0: This evening's scripture is taken from 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service tonight. We are somewhat sparse in number, but we are glad for the opportunity that we have to be together tonight. To worship God. We're thankful to have visitors with us as always. We encourage you to come back and be with us. We want to pray for those who might be traveling during this holiday season. We hope and pray that everyone will have a safe journey and that we will be able to be together again next Sunday evening. But before that, Wednesday night and we want to encourage everyone to come And be a part of our Wednesday night Bible study. On Wednesday nights we've been taking questions and we began last Wednesday night. And I would invite you to come. If you have Bible questions please feel free to turn those in. And we will do our best to provide a biblical answer for them. And we are going to be looking at a number of topics. And I think that you will find our study to be interesting and based on what the Bible teaches. Tonight, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the passage that Matt read just a moment ago. I want us to think for a few moments about the theme, what Jesus did for us. In our study this morning, we asked the question, what will you do with Jesus? And all of us must ultimately answer that question. But tonight, I want us to think just a little bit, about the nature of Christ and his work on our behalf. Because ultimately, it was through him that we have any hope of redemption. And so tonight, we look at Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The first thing that I would call your attention to, as we note the writings of Paul, is the fact that Jesus was sinless that is he was the spotless lamb of god look at verse 21 for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us it is interesting to know that the bible pictures jesus christ as a sinless being Now you and I, as members of the human family, we have been tainted by sin. Not because we have been born as sinners, as some teach, but because we have transgressed the law of God. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 4. He said that those who transgress the law of God, they in effect commit lawlessness or sin. Well, Jesus was unlike other members of the human family. And the reason is simply this. He rose above sin and unrighteousness. Now, bear in mind that Jesus was indeed tempted. I think it is noteworthy that Jesus was not deceived in temptation. But rather, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, defeated temptation. For example, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 4, we read of Jesus being tempted by the devil. Three times, Satan did everything within his power to cause Jesus Christ to succumb to temptation and thus sin. And yet each and every time, Jesus would respond by quoting scripture. He would remind the devil, it is written. So Jesus was able to rise above sin and unrighteousness. I said just a moment ago that Jesus Christ was that spotless Lamb of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter said that we have been redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Or take the words of the Hebrew writer in chapter 4 verse 15 when he said, We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but one who has been tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Jesus Christ never sinned. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Christ has left us an example that we should follow in his steps who did no sin. Neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. And so Jesus Christ was unlike any other person To grace planet earth. And the reason is simply because he rose above sin. And thus because of that, he was able to offer himself in our stead. There's a second thing that I would call your attention to in our text tonight. Not only do we read of Jesus as being sinless or spotless, But the record tells us that he became our substitute or he sacrificed himself on our behalf. Look again at verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Now Paul said that Jesus became sin for us. And I think what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ willingly, humbly, submissively bore the penalty of sin for fallen humanity. Without Jesus Christ, you and I would be lost. We would have no hope, as Paul said in Ephesians 2 at verse 12. We would be without God in this world. But Jesus Christ came as a sacrifice For our sins. That is, He came to give Himself as a sacrifice. Now, in the book of John, in chapter 4, at verse 34, Jesus said, My work or my meat is to do the will of Him who sent me. John the Apostle tells us that Jesus Christ was the eternal Word, the Logos, who became flesh. And Jesus inhabited human flesh to fulfill the will of God the Father, according to Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 5. Jesus Christ came to fulfill heaven's will. Jesus said in John 6 verse 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who is in heaven. So, Jesus was going to offer Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. This idea of a sacrifice or substitute for sin, I think, brings to mind the vicarious suffering and death of Jesus Christ. He took our place, He stood in our stead, He bore our cross. Jesus never had a cross but rather he came to bear our cross, to bear our sins. When we think about the substitution of Jesus Christ, I would suggest unto you that it entails sorrow. Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 at verse 3 that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah penned these words some seven centuries before Jesus came into this world. And yet Isaiah could pinpoint the suffering servant and his work. He could underscore the fact that Jesus would be a man of sorrows. And then also we think about his suffering. Isaiah again tells us he was despised and rejected by man. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Think about the suffering that Jesus bore on our behalf. Go back to the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew talks about how during the trial of Jesus, that those who were surrounding him slapped him. They beat him. They smote him in the head. They said, tell us who it is that hit, that hit you. They spat upon him. And then they scourged him. The scourge was enough to kill any man. And so Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was a man of suffering. And then also we see the separation that he endured for us. When you think about all of the events of Calvary, what do you think is the most horrific part of what Jesus experienced on our behalf? I believe it was his separation from God the Father. When Jesus was on the cross... The Bible tells us that he cried out, My God, my God, why have have you forsaken me? Here we have the Son of God bearing our sins and God the Father turning his head. That separation or chasm that existed at the cross of Calvary. And so, yes, Jesus became our sacrifice. His death entailed giving his body. Peter tells us that Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Not only did it entail his body, but also he shed his blood. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus willingly gave his body, a body that was pierced to a wooden cross, a body that was pierced by a soldier's spear. Jesus gave his body. But he also shed his blood. And as the Hebrew writer said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You and I tonight, we would not be in a spiritual relationship with God the Father had it not been for the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But then there is a third thing I would call your attention to in our text. And this has to do with the salvation that Jesus accomplished for us. Look again at verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, if you wanted to boil down the work of Jesus on the cross and sum it up, what would you say? What would you say about the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary? What did he accomplish on our behalf? I would submit unto you tonight that through the work of Jesus Christ, you and I have the opportunity to be right with God. You and I have the opportunity to be in a right relationship with Jehovah God. Now Paul said that those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord, they are without hope and without God in this world. In verse 13 of Ephesians 2, he said, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ has bridged that gap. He has brought us together. Sin alienates and separates. And yet Jesus reconciles. Look at verse 18. In verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or reckoning their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jesus has made it possible for us to enjoy reconciliation. Reconciliation takes place in the one body. Paul said in Ephesians 2 verse 16 that Christ has reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. Of course, the one body is the church, Ephesians 4, at verse 4. Those today who are reconciled are members of the church that we read about in the Bible. That is, we are New Testament Christians. We are a part of the ecclesia, the community of the saved. We are God's holy nation. We are, as Paul said to the Galatians, the true Israel of God. We belong to the Lord. And since we belong to him, we are instructed to glorify him in our lives. But just think for a moment about the work of Christ. The Lord has made it possible for you and me to be right with God. We can enjoy a spiritual relationship with God the Father. Now in our society today. There are individuals that will tell you there are many roads that lead to God the Father. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The only way to God the Father is through Jesus Christ, the Son. And so John could say, in 1 John chapter 4, at verse 14, we have seen and testify that God has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus died for every person. He tasted death for every man, according to Hebrews chapter 2, at verse 9. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, at verse 15, that Christ died for all. Jesus died to save you and me. He died to make us right with God. Now here's the question. If the Lord died to save us, to make us right with God, why would anyone spurn his gracious invitation? Why would anyone say no to the Lord? The Bible makes it abundantly clear that the Lord desires the salvation of every person. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 4, Paul said that God would have all men, A-L-L, all men, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, at verse 9, Peter said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved. And God, according to the Apostle Paul, and Paul wrote the commandments of the Lord, according to 1 Corinthians 14, God desires your salvation. And the Apostle Paul emphasizes this great point. Why would anyone say no? Why would anyone turn a deaf ear to the call of the gospel? Jesus died for all. Now the question is, do we want to enjoy eternal life with God the Father? Do we want to enjoy the blessings of salvation? What has Christ done for us? He has made it possible for us to be right with God. He has made it possible for us to be reconciled with God. He has made it possible for us to be redeemed, that is, to be the redeemed of God, and because of all of that, we can rejoice. Read sometime the book of Philippians. Paul was writing from a prison when he penned those inspired words. And when he wrote to the saints in Philippi, one of his great themes was the idea of joy or rejoicing. We can rejoice because we belong to the Lord. Paul points out that God spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. So Jesus died for you and me. The question is, will we live for him? Will we choose to honor his will? Will we choose to obey the gospel? What would you need to do tonight to become a New Testament Christian? What would you need to do to be right with God? The Bible says there's just one body and there's just one faith. The one faith reveals the one system of salvation. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Once you and I have developed faith in the Lord, then we must put that faith into action. We do that by, first of all, repenting of every sin turning from a life of sin. Paul wrote to the people in Corinth. Now, if you know anything about the people that lived in Corinth, you know that Corinth was a very vile and wicked city. When Paul wrote to those Christians in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11... through 11, he pointed out to them that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He said that those who commit fornication, adultery, homosexuality, those who are thieves and drunkards drunkards and revilers, he said they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, but such were some of you. In other words, at one time you had lived in the mire of sin. But now you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. These people had to repent. That is, they had to give up their wicked lifestyle. Those of us that come to Christ, we must give up a life of sin. And then we are instructed to confess The name of Jesus before others, as Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 32. And then the Bible tells us that we must be baptized to wash away our sins, Acts 22, 16. When we do that, we become members of the Lord's body, the church, Acts 2, verse 47. If we live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life. What about you tonight? Do you have the hope of heaven before you? Do you have a right relationship with the Lord? If not, could we encourage you to obey the gospel? If you're here tonight, you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, why not come back to the Lord? Why not come home to a loving God who will abundantly pardon? The Bible says, confess your sins one to another. Pray one for another. Tonight we would be happy to pray with you and for you. And the Bible tells us that God will abundantly pardon Hebrews 8 verse 12. Would you come as we stand and sing?